This is the word of God, Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they have been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sahendron, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in the jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sahendron to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sahendron and ordered the men to be put outside a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sahendron rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That is our connection director, Kim Cam, reading that. We're reading through the book of Acts right now, and um, we're seeing how the church was launched 
and empowered by the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was a supernatural thing, and I would really love to see us recapture that kind of spirit today. If you're a guest with us, if you're watching online, it's good to have you with us. Uh, we think this is a good place to connect with God and experience community. And we believe that really the church is the only place where you're going to find what may be missing in your life. And it is something supernatural because only Jesus offers unconditional love, freedom, forgiveness, joy, peace, hope, all these good things maybe you've heard about before or maybe you've received for yourself. But I'll, I'll bet you nobody ever told you you might get beat up. When, when you became a Christian, nobody said, you know what, you might get beat up. You might get treated the way Jesus got treated. Yes, God loves you, but not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to bless you. And the, the, the fact is, if they mistreated Jesus, they may mistreat you. And so here you are. You can bet your life that something negative may happen to you. You might not get beat up physically, but in other ways. I mean, you might get, lose your friends. You might lose your family. You might lose your job. You might get beat up on social media. You might get disowned and disparaged and denounced. I don't know. I, I know there's no organized outright persecution going on in America, but I'll tell you what, I really do believe it's coming. It's coming. We need to be ready for it. And that's why you need to hear this message. Because if history is instructive, if the current conditions are any indication of what's to come, and if Jesus is correct, we will be persecuted. Are you ready for that? Are you still willing to follow Christ if there's a price to pay? So when we left off last week in Acts chapter 5, we saw the church was exploding with growth in spite of the persecution of the, those first two apostles, Peter and John. And now it ramps up into phase two of persecution against all of the apostles. Uh, in fact, this next phase is where they really try to shut down the whole movement. They try to wipe it out by taking out all the leadership. And they would have succeeded too if God had not intervened because he's not going to let anything stop the mission of his son in this world to bring the good news of salvation to everybody who needs to hear it. Now, the enemies of Christ have been trying to shut it down for centuries. Over and over, they've tried to stop the church, but you can't stop it because it's of God. It's the only truly unstoppable force in this world. And if God allows us to be around for another 2,000 years or more, not us, but you know, the world, if it's still here, there's a lot of things going to change. A lot of things going to fade away. A lot of things going to die out. But I'll guarantee you the church is still going to be here because it's of God. And the message will go forward. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 18. We're all going to say it out loud together. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. The demons of hell cannot stop the church because God has given us a mission to go and take the good news to all the world. And you can Bet and better believe that whatever God calls you to do, he's going to equip and enable and empower you to do. So I want to give you some principles from these early Christians from the book of Acts for today. And the first is this. Do what God tells you because he is with you. You can be assured he's going to be with you through whatever he calls you to do. When those Jewish authorities threatened Peter and John the first time to shut up, stop talking about Jesus, they said, well, what do you think? You, you think we're going to do what you say or what God says? You can't stop us. You can't shut, shut, shut us up. No matter how badly we talk, we're still going to keep talking because we got a message. All right. So God told us to go and we can't disobey God. He's, he's given us different orders. So they go and good things are happening. People are being loved. They're being saved. They're being healed and helped and delivered. I mean, who can be against that? 
But that's not what they get in trouble for. It's not for doing the good things. It's for doing good things publicly in the name of Jesus. And that'll still get you in trouble today. Doing good things publicly in the name of Jesus. So now the religious leaders who had been so jealous, so hostile against the ministry of Jesus that they crucified him, now turn serious against the apostles. In fact, Jesus' prophecy is coming true. He already told them in John chapter 15 and 16, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. They'll put you out of the synagogue. Yeah, the time's coming when whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And that's what the religious leaders think they're doing. Let's kill them, get rid of them, and, and God will be happy with us if we do that. So they send some officers to seize them, put them under arrest privately, probably violently, you know, because nobody's around to watch. They, they don't want to do this in front of the crowd because they know the crowd supports them, holds them in high esteem. They're jealous of their popularity and their power. They grab them and throw them in the public jail, right along with the, all the other common criminals, to be held for trial the next day. Now, what's going on here? Public shaming. This is public disgrace. I mean, it gets ugly. It's public because you can just imagine what's going on. Word is getting out that the apostles are in jail. People are going, hey, where's our leaders? Oh, man, they're in jail. Mm, wonder what they did. I mean, the, the ugly gossip that's going around. And uh, so here they are in, in, in jail for their faith, for talking about Jesus. And what's really happening is not that the, the religious leaders are controlling this. It looks like it. But who's really controlling it? We know. Satan is behind this, right? Satan is going to use these authorities. He uses people all the time. People aren't our enemies. It's, it's the spiritual enemy. The devil thinks that by doing this, he's going to throw water on the rapidly spreading flame of Christianity. But what's he doing? He's actually throwing gasoline on it. It's only going to make it spread and grow. So during the night, this angel comes, pulls a heavenly Houdini, springs them from their jail cells. Out they go. And they're back out on the street again because God's saying, I'm not going to let this message of freedom be contained behind prison walls. You get out there and you get back right doing what you were doing. And if you were anybody else, people would have, once you're out of jail, you run for the border before anybody even knows you're gone, before you get caught again. But not these guys, right at sunrise, they waste no time getting out and they're preaching right again, right out and open, right under their noses. Meanwhile, the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin made up of 70 some Rulers and priests and scholars are assembling together. They call for the 12 prisoners to be brought in. We're finally going to get rid of these guys, put this whole thing down. And the guards go and report, hey, they've disappeared. I mean, they, they've escaped from these doors. The doors are closed. They've got to tell them that they've escaped. And you can just imagine the shock. And then the shock upon shock, not only are they gone, but they're right back out doing what they were doing the first, what they got arrested for. And so they haul them back in again. This time they go easy on them because it's out in public in the daytime and they don't want the people turning on them. And so they bring them back, stand them in front of this Supreme Court. And you can just imagine the frustration on these judges' faces. Like, how in the world did you do this? You can't. Now, you, they're going to start questioning them. And you think the very first question they would say is, how in the world did you get out of that jail cell? But they don't want to know. I don't even want to know. Because that's a, you know, because they'll have to hear God did that. They don't, they don't want this to be a God thing. And they, you think that miracle would start to tamp down their, their murderous, jealous rage. So this is really of God. But no, they just plow right ahead. How dare you? They say in Acts 5, how dare you? We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They can't even bring themselves to say the name of Jesus. This name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You know, the apostles are going, yes, that's exactly what we were going for. Thank you. That's awesome. 
I would love that to be said of the believers of South Point today. You have filled all of Downriver with this teaching. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, more than that, uh, they say, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So these guys are in some serious hot water here. They're facing some stiff penalties, some harsh treatment for what they've done. And if they had a good defense attorney right now, I would imagine he'd say, you need to plea bargain this thing down. All right, we need to get you off the hook. You just need to go in there and fall on the sword and say, hey, we're so, so sorry. We had no idea we were offending your honor like this. But no, the apostles step right up and they admit all the charges against them are true. Yep, we did it. You told us not to talk about Jesus anymore, correct? That's right. Well, since you're all here, we've got a sermon for you. Uh, we are guilty, as you say. Yep, we did it because God told us to go, go, go make disciples. You said, stop, we're going to go. And in fact, you are guilty of putting this man to death. His blood is on your hands. I mean, you were, you, you were more than willing to accept responsibility for the murder of Jesus back when you did it, but now you're not willing to take responsibility for what you did, what, what changed here. And Peter actually gets a little bit more direct with him. And he not, he not only says, you killed him, but you hung him on a tree, literally, you hung him on a tree. What's the big deal about that? Well, go back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It says, anybody hung on a tree is under a curse. So he's saying, you know what? You are the ones who ought to be on trial for murder, not us, because you put to death the Messiah of Israel, the son of God in the most public, disgraceful, shameful way possible. How dare you? And then they make this declaration that has rung through the ages, that is a rallying cry for Christians undergoing persecution and oppression, and it becomes the second principle for being unstoppable. Do what God says over what humans say. Doesn't matter what you command us to do, you can't stop us. Doesn't matter what you do to us. You can't stop us, you can't stop the gospel, you can't stop the mission. He, they say this in Acts 5, everybody together will say, we must obey God rather than human beings. There you go. Amen. That's our call. We must obey God rather than human beings. Now, normally we want to be good at outstanding model citizens who obey all the laws on the books. Everything from, we don't want anybody to malign us for even, you know, being dishonest on our taxes or breaking speeding laws. Yes, we're supposed to obey all the laws, right? Because Paul says later in Romans 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So we are to obey the laws of the land as long as they don't contradict God's laws. They cross a line when they pit human authority against divine authority. When we have to choose to do what God says or what humans say, we're going to choose God, which means we've got to be willing to stand up against those kinds of unjust laws and be willing to pay the price for our civil disobedience. We've got to be willing to suffer the consequences of being called into court, going to jail, going to the chopping block, going to the firing squad. Now, we've got to be careful with this principle because not every unjust law is necessarily worth disobeying. Okay? This, it's got to be a clear case where if I do it, I'll be disobeying God. Or if I don't do it, I'll be disobeying God. Right? Because there's a whole lot of unjust laws. Think about Jesus when he was asked about paying taxes to the Roman Empire. He said, yeah, go ahead and pay him. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, even though you know those taxes were going to be used to fund some pretty unjust, ungodly things. But the apostles say, you know what? In this case, we have to defy you in order to honor God. And yes, you had him crucified. You hung him on a tree. 
But God raised him up and exalted him. You thought he was insignificant. God lifted him up, made him the savior, the only one who can lead us to repentance and forgiveness, which makes those leaders absolutely furious. They're ready to kill these guys until a voice of reason speaks of Gamaliel, who was the most famous, um, uh, uh, respected Jewish teacher of that time. In fact, we find out later that the apostle Paul was one of his students. And Gamaliel says, let's put these guys outside for a while. I want to talk to the rest of you. I don't, I don't want us to act rashly here. Let's consider carefully what we're about to do and not out of overheated emotion. And reminds them of other troublemaking rebels from the past who had gathered followings to rebel against Rome. And once those guys were, were crushed, their followers disbanded. So let's just wait and see. Uh, time will tell. Guys like this... Come and go. And uh, look, if it's not of God, it's going to fizzle out. But it, if it is of God, then we can't fight it. You're not going to be able to stop it. And uh, of course, his advice was correct. I mean, they weren't able to stop it. But actually, it wasn't the most wise of advice, if you think about it, because Gamaliel had already considered Jesus just another troublemaker, just another rebel against Rome. He didn't consider him different from anybody else. He had not considered all the evidence that Jesus was like nobody else. He lived this spotless life, performed miracles, was raised from the dead. Oh, but I'm sure that's no problem. He won't, this won't go anywhere. Wow. I mean, how wrong can you be? Because it's not going to be the success of his followers that proves this is true. It's the fact that God already gave you the evidence through the resurrection. We know it's true. You just don't want to consider the evidence fairly. And besides that, you can't judge the rightness of any group or religion just based on how large of a following they gather, right? Because there have been religions around the world that have gathered big followings and they've, they've stood for centuries. Doesn't mean they're right, doesn't mean they're from God, but God still uses that less than wise advice to spare their lives at the very time when they could have nipped Christianity in the bud by wiping out all the leaders in one movement. Didn't matter. The apostle said, live or die, we're going to do what God says. They had already prayed for courage to keep speaking for Jesus, and God gave them that courage. And that leads to our third unstoppable principle. Keep right on doing what God says, no matter what the consequences. No matter what the consequences. All right, so the Sanhedrin says, all right, Gamaliel, we'll, we'll let these guys go, but we can't just let them go without doing something to them because nobody's going to respect our authority. So at least let's beat them. Let's fog them with some whips. That way we'll disgrace them. We'll publicly humiliate them. We will make them look guilty at least and intimidate them into silence. And everybody else will be intimidated into silence too if we send them out here all bloodied up. And you know what? Those apostles could have walked out of there scot-free. No problem if they had just said, fine, we'll keep our religion to ourselves. We won't talk about Jesus anymore. They didn't have to go through... 39 lashes across the back and the sides getting turned into a bloody mess in severe pain for days with permanent scarring all over them. They didn't have to go through that. But even through those horrific beatings, they said, you can't shut us up. You can't stop us. If anything, it only made them stronger. It only made them greater because they had learned to trust God through all of that and were filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And Acts 5 goes on to say the apostles left the Sanhedrin, what? Rejoicing. Wow, rejoice. I don't know if they're like they're walking out smiling, big bloody mess that they are, 
grimace on their face full of pain, but they're full of joy because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Remember they talked about they wouldn't even say the name? Here they're kind of throwing it back at them. They suffered for that name. Day after day in the temple courts, right in their own backyard, right under their noses in these big areas with lots of crowds, wherever there's a bunch of people. They kept telling them about Jesus from house to house because, you know, early Christians didn't have church buildings. They had small groups in their homes. They never stopped. I love that. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I hope we'll never stop. Now, you may not be able to teach and proclaim and witness in front of a big crowd of people out in public, but you can certainly do it from house to house. You can do it privately, one-on-one, small groups like that. You can let people know about Jesus. That's what Paul did, right? Later in Acts 20, 20, he says, yet I never shrank from telling the truth either publicly or in your homes. We can do that. Now, the apostles were rejoicing that they suffered because it was for Christ and it was with Christ. And, And Peter will later write in his first letter to to a bunch of persecuted Christians. He says, look, if you suffer for God, you're going to be rewarded. So don't worry. Don't fear. Instead, be very glad because these trials will make you what? Partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it's displayed to all the world. So be happy if you're insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious spirit of God will come upon you. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his wonderful name. That's the spirit I love for us to recapture. You know, about 100 years after the time of the apostles, there was this theologian in North Africa named Tertullian who wrote uh, a piece called The Apologetica. And in it, he was arguing for the defense of Christians in the Roman Empire, to defend them against persecution, that Christians should be tolerated, uh, given the same rights as all the other sects and groups in the empire. And he writes this famous line, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because he's arguing that it's actually persecution that makes the church grow and spread. And you can't stop it. Why? Because people would see these Christians courageously dying for what they believed in. And they knew there was something to it. This must be true. Look at at what they've done. And so today, in many places where Christianity is being persecuted, guess what? That's where the church is growing. Now, I'm not praying for persecution in America, but we sure do need revival. Because we don't have that kind of spirit here. I know that. Satan is still thinking he's pouring water on the... spreading flames of Christianity. He's just pouring on more gas all over the world where the church is being persecuted. And yeah, even here, look, we're not likely to be oppressed for our faith, but anytime you take a stand for God, you're going to suffer in some way. Whenever you speak out, you, you become public in your faith. There's a price to pay. Now, if you don't want to have to deal with that, keep your faith to yourself. Don't talk about Jesus and you'll be just fine. People will leave you alone. But then again, you won't really be much of a Christian. You, won't, you will have completely missed what being a Christian is about. You will not be doing what God says. And that's what's going on in China. You know, there's an official state-approved Chinese church that's allowed to exist above ground. Why? Because they've made a deal with the government that we won't try to persuade anybody about our faith. We won't try to convert anybody. And so they're allowed to go, go on. But the real Christians, the real church that takes Jesus seriously and shares their faith, they have to, they're not approved. They've got to go underground at the risk of being persecuted. 
according to Open Doors Ministry, which you know, uh, deals with persecuted Christians around the globe, we are now living in a time when the persecution of Christians is at an all-time high in modern history and is growing at an alarming rate. Get this, each day, 11 Christians are killed for their faith. 11 every day in the top 50 countries where saying yes to Jesus is really a life or death decision. You gotta be serious if you wanna be a Christian in these places. In North Korea, Christianity is the number one enemy of the state. Christians are seen as the hostile elements of society that have to be eradicated. And so if you're discovered to be a Christian there, you will at least be deported to a labor camp or you will be killed on the spot and it will not only affect you but your family down to the fourth generation. They'll suffer the same fate. In Pakistan, Christians live with open discrimination and constant threat of mob attacks. They live in daily fear for their lives of just being accused, just accused of blasphemy against Islam, which carries a death sentence. And the most well-known case of that in recent times has been that of Asiya Bibi, who is a Christian wife and mother who has been in jail for over 10 years on death row for the charge of blasphemy. Now, last October, she was finally released. It was awesome. But you know what? She can't get out. She's still there, and her life is in grave danger. And every year it's estimated some 700 women and girls are abducted and are forcibly raped and put into Muslim marriages where they are forcibly converted. Discrimination is, is institutionalized in this place. And some are victims of bonded labor. They're basically made slaves or at the very least the occupations that are considered low down, dirty, degrading, and derogatory, those are the ones that are reserved just for Christians. In India, unprecedented Christian persecution goes on. Hindu extremists have fueled a crackdown on the churches and have persecuted Christians with impunity in this country. It's so common there for Christians to be cut off from water supplies or from government subsidized groceries, which everybody else enjoys. They don't get that. Saying yes to Jesus there has become a risky decision that can cost you and your family greatly. In Afghanistan, Christianity isn't even permitted. Very often there's only one outcome and that's death. Converts are considered literally insane, and so they are put into psychiatric hospitals and their homes are destroyed. In Somalia, Christians are high-value targets. The Christian community there is very small, and if you are discovered, you will be killed right then on the spot. Now, you all heard just recently on March 15th about the horrific mosque shootings in New Zealand where some 50 or so Muslims were gunned down and dozens more were injured. And it's a, it's a terrible thing, which, by the way, was not committed by a Christian, but by some whack job who was a China-supporting eco-fascist with all kinds of weird agendas. But look, we mourn for those victims. We, we speak out against violence against people of any faith. It doesn't matter. We, we stand together on that. But what's interesting to me is how the media completely ignored the same kind of Slaughter of Christians in Nigeria. Just four days before, 52 Christians were killed for their faith. A hundred homes destroyed in two villages. In Nigeria, Christians are slaughtered. Just since February, some 300 Christians have been put to death in a series of attacks. And last year, Islamist Fulani herdsmen wiped out thousands of Christians. And yet, how many have even heard of this violent genocide? Silence from the media. What can we do about it? 
Well, you should be aware there are some Christian organizations like Open Doors USA, Voice of the Martyrs, and others that, that help with this situation, try to combat persecution. You can also contact elected officials and put some pressure on them. That helps, but what does God specifically call us to do? We're to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in chains. Why? Because prayer is our greatest weapon. Hebrews 13 says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were mistreated. I want you to write this down or take a photo of the screen. I'm going to put up here a website, icommittopray.com. Because every week on Friday, I get an email highlighting just three short stories or examples of people or groups that are being persecuted somewhere in the world. And I pray for those. And if you would like to receive the same email and pray for them, go to icommittopray.com and you will receive that. Because look, if you, were, if you were the one being imprisoned and beaten, wouldn't you want to know that your, your Christian family hasn't forgotten you? That that they care about you, and that's what prayer is for. And I'll remind you again. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And no, we will not be overcome. We will prevail. We will not shrink back from going out and declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. We will be unstoppable because we have the Holy Spirit within us. But I'll tell you what, depending on what's coming down the pike here, whatever intimidation or pressure is coming our way, we better toughen up because it's coming and we need to get to a place where we're okay with that and we even welcome it and rejoice because we suffer with Christ and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us rejoice in that kind of suffering because look, if our faith is real, if you really believe this is true, that heaven and hell are real, then the only way to be saved is through the cross of Christ and so we can't help but tell people, we are compelled to tell them the good news and that's why our big idea is nothing will stop us from doing what God tells us, nothing. Here we are, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus because it's of God. This whole church thing is of a God. Christianity is the biggest thing in the history of the world, and it will never stop. So let's make a decision right now to strive all the time, each day, to fill our homes, to fill all of Downriver and all of the world with this teaching, this good news of Christ. And it's not going to be easy because Satan is still very active. Satan's going to try to stop us, but he can't do it. He cannot do it. And look, even if, even if he managed to wipe out everyone in this room, you know what happened? Other people would rise up and take our place and the cause of Christ would march on because we've read ahead to the end of the story. We know how it's going to end. We win. And you can either be on the winning side or the losing side. You can either be for Christ or against Christ. What about you? Where do you stand? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that you would empower us to be like those first Christians, to be witnesses who can't stop talking about Jesus. We want to pray for our, the persecuted church around the world, Lord, that you would strengthen them and protect them, make them bold and, and help them to remain faithful witnesses. And at the same time, turn the hearts of their oppressors and their enemies so that they'll be open to Jesus too. Father, we're going to do what you say because we know you're with us. And we're going to do what you say over what humans say. And we're going to keep right on doing what you say no matter what the consequences because we're praying it in Jesus' name. Amen.